This is the Ultra Culture Podcast, and it's the middle of the night here in Los Angeles. It's something like three in the morning, and I am sitting here recording this in the dark. And earlier today, I started working on a podcast about Buddhism. I recorded about 30 minutes on the Dharma and the enlightenment of the Buddha in Sarnath, India, 2,500 years ago. I started talking about the schools of Buddhism and emptiness and interconnection and all of the uh, academic stuff about Buddhism, which is absolutely fascinating. And I started recording this because I wanted to do a Buddhism podcast because I just released a course about Buddhism called Magic and Mysticism of Buddhism, which is on magic.me which is basically a three-hour documentary that I created. It's all video. It's not just me talking. It's it's all video. It's beautifully edited. Um, I did the, all the music for it. Um, it's a huge production, and I just released that for all Magic.me subscribers. So to let everyone know about that, I was going to do this very intelligent-sounding uh, podcast about Buddhism and regale you with my my academic knowledge from my travels around the world and my deep studies and practices and um, all this Lamont Cranston-type stuff. But it just didn't, I don't know, um, it just didn't feel um, true. So I've been up thinking about, well, what do I really have to say to people that is really true and useful? I mean, you know, I'm not so young anymore that I can pretend like I'm special or somehow different from other people. I mean, this is something we all believe when we're younger, but it obviously is not the case. Life shows you that very quick. Life really is the best teacher. Um, you know, I'm getting close to 40 now. And I'm not that, you know, I'm still a few years away from it, but you know, life is weird, right? I mean, like, can we just stop for a second and what is this? Like, what, what the hell is this? Can we drop just for a second, you know, the masks that we all wear, um, the people, the, the person that we tell other people that we are, that we cultivate, that we radiate, that we tell ourselves we are, you know, this is really weird. <laughs> we're, we're in the middle of a really bizarre trip. It goes really fast. You know, you're born, you have your early childhood experiences. You know, everyone is bigger than you. You remember crawling along and looking at carpet. And it's seeming like, you know, the, the uh, prehistoric rainforest. And then you're, you're big and you're in school and all of a sudden you have to deal with all the trauma of school and, and uh, excitement. And then next thing you know, you're an adolescent and then there's sex to deal with and it's so confusing. And then next thing you know, you're, you're, you're an adult and now you have to deal with uh, who, uh, who am I? How do I make money? How do I deal with this? And it's, it's hard, you know, and it, it's, it doesn't stop being hard and it goes really fast and it's really confusing. And we, we somehow 
make the best of it and somehow it works out. But nobody knows what the fuck it is, <laughs> you know? Somehow it works out though. It's amazing. Uh, every time I turn on the news, everyone's always freaking out about the state of the country and all of this. And one thing I um, remind people of in my life is that in the 80s, if you remember in the 70s and the 60s, everyone was convinced that they were going to die in a nuclear war. I remember that very vividly. That was accepted. You know, that was the adult version of the world is that we were all going to die in a mutual nuclear war with Russia. And everyone accepted that it was probably going to happen and we were all doomed and there was nothing we could do about it and that humanity was fundamentally bad because it had come to this and it never happened. It didn't happen. You know, the Cold War ended. Reagan and Gorbachev and Thatcher, say what you will about them, negotiated that. And it ended and Russia collapsed in economic ruin just as America is, you know, about to, it seems, or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. You know, there's like, we, we don't know. We don't know anything. We don't understand the first thing about what life is. And science tells us things about the material world. Very useful. Religion can pass on. I think religion at its best at its best, and that's often not the case, let's be honest, at its best, religion can pass on useful wisdom for life from previous generations. But even that, I mean, how much of it do we absorb? How many people in the world live simply by, by the simple teachings of the New Testament? Like basically nobody, right? Let alone a complex system like Buddhism. It's really odd. So I feel that the best way to talk about Buddhism is from that position of honesty. It's like, um, we're in the middle of an inexplicable trip. So in terms of what do we really know ontologically, right? What do we really know spiritually? So I could sit here and tell you all these colorful stories about how I traveled around India and Nepal and became a shaman and studied as a Sufi and studied Buddhism and um, attained advanced enlightenment states and meditation states and uh, learned Western magic and all of this uh, comic booky stuff, which is all true. You know, it's like Dr. Strange literally could have been made about my life, but it doesn't, you know, it's like, you know, so what, <laughs> you know, I'll be the first to admit that ultimately we are all sitting here in this thing called the human experience in just, I would say a state of, if you really stop and feel it for half a second, a, a feeling of muted panic, perhaps, or a feeling of. Uh, as Gurdjieff put it, the terror of the situation or, you know what, let's not, I'm not even going to try and quote people, you know, I mean, let's, let's just try and be direct about it. Um, it, it life is uncomfortable. It's, it's strange. It's awkward. It's, um, um, uh, it, it is tinged and colored with the fear of the constant fear of you're not getting it right. And I would assume that that is universal in the, I don't know what you want to say, you know, in the world in 2019, there are almost infinite things that you can do to distract yourself from that fundamental uh, awkwardness. Uh, 
you know, you can buy almost infinite consumer experiences, you know, whatever it is that you, gets you excited, you can buy it, you can buy accessories for it, uh, you can take the trip. Um, there's infinite dramas to get involved in. All you have to do is turn on the news and choose a side and there's that drama to get involved in. You can blunt the uh, pain of being yourself by um, um, submerging yourself within a group or an ideology, a tribal identity. Uh, you can submerge yourself within a job. You can submerge yourself within a hobby, uh, within a subcultural or cultural identity, within a religion. I think probably 0.001% of religion is actually engaged with um, people realizing themselves. Almost all of it, almost all of it is uh, ritual in the dead sense, ritual in the sense of, of doing another time-filling activity, just like every other human activity. Time-filling activities to distract yourself from the void the skinless uncomfortability of just existing. So through some strange chain of synchronicity or coincidence or design or self-chosen path, I've somehow ended up in the bizarre position of being, uh, you know, in this temporary way in this time and place, uh, you know, some type of spiritual teacher or uh, somebody who's passing on esoteric wisdom and I take it very, very seriously, um, enough to not take myself seriously. Um, I, I see it as a profound responsibility. And at the same time, I feel compelled to come to that bizarre and kind of goofy or really goofy job from the position of uh, existential humility not in like the pious sense or the, the Christian or Buddhist, you know, false humility, but it's just like, I, I don't, I'm a human being, you know, I, this is a, a life is confusing. Every time you think you have it figured out, it radically pulls the rug out from under you. You get thrown into a completely new and unpredictable situation in which you get to experience even more of your shortcomings that you didn't even realize you fully had. Um, and, and that you must then grapple with them. And it is intelligent in that way. One thing that one thing that I think that I've observed about life is that it is deeply loving and compassionate in that it is constantly challenging you and constantly putting you in situations that push you to your limit, but not past them usually. Uh, there are certainly cases where that happens, but usually you are pushed just to the limit of your capacity to deal with, and this is then how you grow, and uh, and then look back at the challenges of the last year, the last five years, or ten years, and and they seem inconsequential to you, even though uh, now, even though they seemed apocalyptic to you perhaps at the time. So Buddhism, <laughs> right? Um, the Buddha was a historical person. He is uh, of historical validity. He uh, was an Indian noble who walked away from his class position to learn all of the meditative techniques of India and the shamanic techniques of India over a long period of time and 
kind of was dissatisfied with all of them and then finally came to the final position which we all must come to eventually if we're serious about this which is what i refer to as playing chicken with the universe he simply sat under a tree uh, in northeastern india and said that i will sit here meditating until i become enlightened or i die and i don't care which one happens but i am not fucking budging until the universe provides right or i'll die um i think this is all again a very honest way to approach existence so meditate he did for seven years finally attaining mastery of his mind and seeing through the illusion of reality and the conclusion that he came to was that there was no self this is a shocking revelation it was shocking 2500 years ago i think it's maybe even more shocking now you know i think it was perhaps easy for people i mean who am i to say none of us know but perhaps it was easier for people in uh, 500 bc to accept that they did not have a self uh, at a time when people were more tribal at a time when people were dominated by the caste structure when they were completely controlled from cradle to grave not like we're not now and by the way not like we don't live in a caste structure now because we absolutely do um but now people have such uh, all of the emphasis is on the construction of the individual uh, how important it is to be an individual and and we are uh, it is like a scab we pick constantly our individuality and constantly construct and reconstruct um, never quite becoming satisfied with it because other people never quite believe that it, it is real uh, it's we are all magicians and sorcerers in the negative sense in that way constantly creating illusions for other people and even more direly for ourselves um, but i think that the the idea that we do not have a self, and by that I don't just mean an external self, but I mean it in the way that the Buddha meant it, which is that there is no divine core self. There's no true self. There's no ultimate identity, at least according to Buddhism. It's one theory. That's a real hard pill to swallow. What the Buddha said instead was that the what we perceive as the self is on some level a cognitive trick played by our sensory organs and our brain in order to keep us alive our brains filter in information from our five sense organs and, uh, and and our intuition and correlate that data based on past memories stored in the brain and this is done in order to make sure that we don't do things that that lead to our extinction uh, like walking out into the road because we can clearly see there are cars there and we know from our prior experience that if you walk out into the road and a car hits you you will die because we've been told this and and um, we've perhaps seen it happen as i have uh, multiple times so uh, what the buddha really said at the core of it is not spiritual it is a brutally harshly rational statement that essentially and we know this is true from neuroscience as well the brain creates the illusion of a self as a kind of uh, overlap 
you know, the overlapping Venn diagram or the, it's, it's almost like an optical illusion or a, or an illusion created by the input of sensory organs and memory in order to give this sense of autonomy so that decisions can be made that provide for our survival and that then will lead to things like producing offspring, protecting offspring, um, and, and, um, protecting ourselves and, and other members of our species from the elements and so on and so forth. And from that illusion comes 10,000 years of history or more, you know, from that illusion, the history of an illusion comes all of the madness of history, the, um, castles of imagination built on clouds on the air, the, uh, the sand mandala of history as, as the Tibetans demonstrate, or as James Joyce once put it, history is a nightmare from which I am struggling to awake a very Buddhist statement. So if the self is an illusion, the prior theory was that there must be a divine self, an animating self that is not perceptible to the senses, but perhaps only to intuition, to intuition and perceived in the height of sacred ritual, or that we can infer from the sacred teachings of religion, in this case, the Vedas. This was the prior, th the prior theory. It's the Vedantic theory. The Buddha rejected this as well. What divine self? This is a, a, perhaps a conjuration of priestcraft. What divine self? Where? Now, I'm not sure I agree with this, but I'm willing to go with the Buddha to his next step, which is his conclusion is that if the perceptual self is a trick, an illusion created by the brain, you know, that voice in your head that you think is you, it's an illusion. It is. And you don't need it to survive. If that's an illusion and some transcendent self is largely a figment of priestly imagination, perhaps, then what are we really? Because we have no inherent self. There's no essence. Buddha was not an essentialist. Essentialist thought is um, very dangerously creeping back into our culture. It's not real. There is no essence. I'm quite happy to go with the Buddha there because it's absolutely correct, I think. And it certainly can be correctly inferred from logic and also from heightened ritual experience, let's be honest. But the Buddha says that the self is an emergent property of interconnection, right? It is, it is we, every moment of our lives, we live in interconnection with other beings. There's not one moment of your existence that has not been performed on a stage with first your parents, but friends, siblings, co-workers, peers, friends and enemies, lovers, ex-lovers, future lovers, whoever it happens to be, the people who will bury you one day. Everything is in interconnection with other beings. And so what the Buddha said is the world is... The universe is constructed of emptiness. It is empty. It is inherently empty. 
It is void. That doesn't mean nothing exists. It means that nothing has a central quality because everything is um, produced by interconnection. So the Buddha, the Buddha says that everything is emptiness and interconnection. Okay, so now we're doing what I said I wasn't going to do, which is drifting into theory, but this is critical because the conclusion that can be drawn from this is that there's no there there. There's no one home. There's no one for you to get to. And most of us, particularly people with a bent for spirituality, spend our entire lives um, pursuing the you know, the cliche, the common sense truism, those are always the most true, of being up our own navel, right? Navel gazing. It's absolutely true. You know, it's not a slander. It's true. It's a correct uh, parody of spiritual people because spiritual people spend their whole lives trying to find themselves. Good luck, right? <laughs> um, there is no true self. Self is a byproduct of interconnection with other consciousnesses. And therefore, says the Buddha, if you want to find yourself, you must look outside yourself to the network of all consciousness. You must look to the total, the totality of consciousness. What you perceive to be you is only a node in an infinite sea of consciousness. We are only temporary nodes, little knots in a sea of, of, of network in a sea of consciousness. And one day that knot will be untied as if it never existed and it will go back to being part of the net. You know, it's just like, that's how it is. That's how it is. You know, you're going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. It's not bad. It's natural. Um, and we can't blunt that fact with some truism like, Oh, well, then it really matters how you live, right? Or, well, be a good example for, for other people or do something great with your life or carpe diem, seize the day or, um, you know, be saved, right? Be a really good person so that somehow you will be preserved when you die. You'll be immortal. These are all flinching from reality. That's what those things are. They are flinches. You are going to die. All life is destined to die and there is nothing you can do to escape it. Nothing. You can do crazy shit. Peter Thiel, right? The co-founder of PayPal. Interesting guy. So, you know, pretty dark-sided. Um, Peter Thiel uh, gets, um, from what I understand, Peter Thiel uh, is this rich Silicon Valley uh, angel investor, uh, has his blood replaced with the blood of teenage boys. <laughs> He's a modern day vampire because he believes that it will extend his lifespan. Maybe it will. I don't know. Can you, can you imagine? Right? Being that afraid of death that you do something like that. Right? I mean, these, these, this is the extent that people go to. This is nothing new. The pharaohs in Egypt built 
uh, pyramids that they thought would, um, um, you know, and then they were buried in the pyramids, perhaps if this is correct. Uh, and they had all their slaves killed with them. They had all their concubines killed and uh, buried with them, mummified, and all of their possessions put into um, their tombs and all of this. And they visually imagined that these pyramids would be like great boats, great arcs sailing into the Western land, sailing into the afterlife, and that they would literally be able to take all these things with them into the other world with the aid of presumably some type of ritual or priestcraft that went along with that, some type of grand ritual. Can you imagine being that afraid of death? Maybe you can because there's a lot of people, in fact, most people who are that afraid. One day, if you're lucky enough to get that far, you'll be in a nursing home. I don't know if you've ever been to a nursing home. You probably have. I have a lot. In nursing homes, people who were once very big shots, real big deals, howl the walls and scream and howl and go into incomprehensible rages. And uh, if it's not a very good nursing home, as most of them aren't, uh, they are ignored by the staff who have no family connection to them, who just leave them sometimes for days on end, not changing their adult diapers. It happens quite a lot. Um, bedlam, right? There's a scene uh, worthy of bedlam in the, in the 19th century. People get scabies that travel from bed to bed. <laughs> I don't want to get too dark, but this is reality. This is the charnel ground, as the Buddhist said. The Buddhist, as the Hindus before them, would meditate in graveyards, um, meditating on corpses, often quite literally sitting on them for long periods of time. I've met people who have done those practices. I've been initiated into groups like that um, in India, in Nepal. It's real. It's no different here. Charnel ground is not the graveyard. Charnel ground is the whole world. If you stop and look, right? If you stop trying to run from it. The funny thing about not running from things is they cease to have power over you. Some of it. It's a funny thing about that. So, old age, sickness, and death are inevitable, as the Buddha told us. These are obvious truths. We say they're hard truths. They're hard to take, but they're obviously true. So why are they so hard to take? It's not because of the, you know, I'm not creating these things for you. It's not as if this, just by saying it, it will happen. I'm speaking of something that will happen already. Why are they hard truths? Why are they hard to take? It has nothing to do with the event. And it has everything to do with the fact that we hide from it. It has everything to do with our own minds and our own reaction to it. The fact that we pretend it's not there. It's a terrible problem, particularly in America. In India, uh, the, the dead line the streets. 
you want to see reality, you go to India, right? It's just dead people everywhere, <laughs> you know, decomposing in plain daylight. Uh, some of them are even still alive while they're decomposing. Uh, or these days, go to downtown LA, go to Skid Row in LA. It's not that different. So, why do we hide? Why do we hurt ourselves by hiding from reality? instead of accepting it because it only prolongs the suffering if you see reality for what it is if you see through it it ceases to have so much power over you life simply is it simply is it just is and when we can admit that to ourselves it's crazy we have to admit to ourselves what is obviously true when we can see that when we can accept life as it is then it is not only maturing but it is only then that we can come from a fundamental ground of compassion for other people because we're meeting them on the equal playing field that we all share you know without errors if i was to describe what buddhism is in fact let's just discard the word Buddhism altogether. You know, it's, it's Buddhism is a religion and I'm not interested in the religion of Buddhism. I'm interested in what the historical person Buddha had to say, which was a very precise method of seeing reality and then transcending the suffering or, or going through the suffering to the other end, perhaps is a better way of putting it, um, to release the suffering and to obtain liberation not in a fairy tale way, but in the very mature adult way of simply not increasing the suffering by resisting it so much, by allowing it to be what it is, and therefore ceasing to sink in the quicksand of life and just being there, accepting our position rather than fighting it, and therefore increasing the suffering unnecessarily. There's no reason. Life inherently contains suffering, but there is no reason to increase it. You get nothing from it. To accept life as it is, is not to save oneself from the suffering that is inherent from, ex from existence, but it is to spare ourselves the unnecessary suffering that we add to our own situation needlessly. That is Buddhism. If I was to sum up the practical techniques that the Buddha has left us, the historical Tathagata Buddha, if I was to sum up what this is, not the religion, but the techniques, but the, the transmission of truth of the Dharma, it is the path of maturing enough to embrace the abyss, uh, maturing enough to face the cold, black infinity of existence as an adult and not to not only increase one's suffering by dwelling on fairy tales of, of um, religious salvation or apocalypticism or messianism or um, you know dwelling on the the uh, kaleidoscopic delusion of of uh, sorcery right you know it's like all this stuff is is just more stuff it's just the mind bracingly face the void head on as it is without distortion without mental manipulation without without running from it without 
projecting some fairy tale illusion onto it uh, to bracingly face the void with maturity. And by maturity, I mean simply being able to accept it as it is without trying to change it. Right. And in doing that, we spare ourselves so much suffering. And more than that, we spare the people around us suffering. How much suffering on this planet has been caused by people lashing out in their sleep? Right. And what I mean by that is look at the suffering that has been caused by the cult systems um, that largely run this world that are referred to as religions. Right. And yeah, we can talk about, well, there's extremist parts of them. They're all fucking extremists. They're all extremists. Right. Religion is by its nature uh, an extreme distortion of perception. How much damage has been done by people who think that if they can just build themselves up a big enough uh, pyramid of um, financial exploitation of others, that they'll be preserved from the great thresher at the end of at the end of the line, right? It's just, uh, how much suffering has been caused by um, simply you in your day-to-day -day life and me in my day-to-day -day life flailing around and lashing out and doing ludicrous things and projecting our stress onto other people and projecting blame onto other people just because we think we can get rid of that feeling that way. Let's just leave it at that, right? As I do for myself. To awaken is to face reality as it is. Let me make this even less glamorous. <laughs> I, I hope you enjoy my sales technique, right? <laughs> so I, I made that, I was making this podcast because I, I wanted to um, um, tell people about my Buddhism documentary, which is fucking amazing. It really is. Uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, I made, guys, I made a fucking movie. It's like three hours long, right? It's, I, I edited it. I directed it. I put it together. It's, 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 I mean, I assembled it from pre-existing footage, but it's, you know, and then I did the music for the whole thing. I did all the audio and the, I'm really excited about it. I'm proud of it. Um, it's phenomenal. Everyone who's taken, you know, who's gone through it, you know, there's quizzes, there's, there's resources, there's practice, uh, you know, guidelines for practice. It's like, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. Um, and it's, if you, you're already a magic.me subscriber, you, you just get it. So anyways, um, or you can, you can subscribe and get it if you're not a subscriber or you can get it on its own. Uh, it's, it's really worth, um, it'll, it'll tell you everything you need to know about the broad scope of Buddhism and how to practice and all of that. But that aside, let me make this even less glamorous. Let me take this down even further. And, and, and in fact, let me, at this point, let me also cast aside the kind of delusion, the delusion that I've been spinning for the last several, you know, for the last, you know, whatever it's been, 45 minutes or whatever. Um, because yeah, everything that I've been saying is also delusion, right? The kind of like the Ian Curtis Lovecraftian overbearing, oh my God, I know reality like that, that too, right? It's a construction of the mind. I mean that, you know, it's, I don't know. Um, there's no reason to be heavy handed, but you know, I often do cause I'm, I'm a good Protestant boy at heart, you know, um, sinners in the hands of an angry God. But let me take it down even further, you know, like, uh, to 
uh, years ago, I did Vipassana course, which I recommend for everyone. I meditated for 10 days nonstop uh, in the desert um, without speaking, uh, gender segregated, no, you know, vegetarian diet only, um, you know, no, no sex, no reading, no writing, total sensory deprivation. And I meditated for 10 days. Um, and, and by the way, in, in unbroken yoga posture as well without moving for most of it. And this is the conclusion that I came to. <laughs> Here's the most unglamorous way uh, I think anyone has ever described Buddhism, and I would hope one of the truest ways. We live, this was the grand conclusion that I came to. We live on a planet of people who are not toilet trained. It's really true. When you go about your day, when you go about your life, you're constantly getting outside input and um, you're, you're reacting to it. Your body is uh, increasing its tension uh, uh, because you, um, you know, your life is shitty, right? So you're taking on the shittiness of life all day long. But we are not raised, for the most part, certainly not in America, we're, we're not raised being given a, an operative emotional toolkit for dealing with life. We just don't, right? The best that Western people usually get is a fairy tale about a bearded Jewish man from 2000 years ago that will come back to make everything okay at some point thousands of years in the future if we don't jerk off, right? I mean, what the fuck is that in terms of giving, an, you know, like, like life skills to kids, right? Or, um, you know, certainly there's, there's not a whole lot of wisdom in science either. I mean, it's, it's, it's science is the, the analysis of material phenomena and, it, you know, try to construct and, and it is uh, uh, incredible, but try to construct an operative ethical or moral or emotional toolkit for dealing with life from that. So the best that, you know, we've gotten from that is, is pharmaceutical drugs right? It's another way to avoid the pain rather than to, to deal with it effectively. Um, so not to knock uh, pharmaceuticals for those who they very much help, but the deeper point here, um, we are constantly taking shit on and because we don't know how to get rid of it, because we don't know how to process it, uh, we are, we go through our lives giving other people shit we go through our lives having a shitty attitude. We um, uh, go through our lives feeling shit on and then shitting on other people. We then tell ourselves that we just don't give a shit about any of this, which is obviously not true. Um, or we tell ourselves these huge uh, fucking fairy tales about nobody gives a shit about me, also cl clearly not true. We get into weird shit to try and distract ourselves, uh, we basically just shit all over the place and smear it on everything, uh, because it gets backed up and we don't know what to do with it because we're not toilet trained. Okay. Here's Buddhism. Behold, I, the one who sits upon the throne, the great throne of the spiritual teacher deliver to you the great secret of 
toilet training. By the way, isn't it hilarious how um, when you, people go to see gurus, they're always on a pedestal. Oh, they're up on the throne. He is the great golden one who is toilet trained. Yes, and I now deliver to you the secret. Okay, here's what Buddhism is in a nutshell. The Buddha says that the path out of suffering is to relinquish the craving and aversion tendencies of the mind. He basically said this, all the mind does is crave things, try to get things, or try to get away from things. And if you really think about it, underneath the mind, that's all it does. And it's not just the mind, it's the body, right? The mind is an extension of the body, something that Western people and all their fucking wisdom haven't figured out yet, right? Um, all the mind does is try to get things or get away from them. That's it. Everything else is built up on top of that. Um, and because of that, it is constantly caught up in a never-ending cycle, a never-ending hamster wheel of delusion, of craving and aversion, generating karma. And all that karma is, is a an inertial tendency that continues on into the future. We spend our whole lives trying to get things or get away from things. This is me. That's me. This isn't me. That's not me. That's not me. This is me. That's not me. Maybe if I get this thing, it'll fill the hole. Maybe if I get that thing away from me, I'll feel better. On and on and on and on until you're dead. And then you're reincarnated and the whole fucking thing starts over again. Ad infinitum. Craving and aversion. That's all it is. That's all your mind is. And even more importantly, the mind is the body. The body is... Um, the mind is an extension of the body. So all that your body is doing, the physical sensations, what you're, what you think you're experiencing, uh, you, you believe falsely that the input that is coming towards you from the world is actually real, actually, or pardon me, that you're actually experiencing it. You're not experiencing anything. All that you're experiencing is your own physical sensations, right? You're, you're experiencing your body telling you, um, it being either craving or having an aversive tent or try, either craving or trying to get away from phenomena, right? You don't, ex you don't, none of us contact reality at any time. All that we feel, we perceive what our brain is showing us from the illusion it creates from our sensory organs and the... All that we're feeling, the emotions, the drama, the tragedy, the comedy, the, the love, the hate, the depression, the elation, the pride, the shame, the guilt, the feelings of failure, of profound misery, or of um, delusions of grandeur, the feeling that one day I will become somebody great and then it will all have been worth it in the grand story of my life. All of that fucking shit is the sensations of your body. That's it. That's it. The same thing goes for magic, by the way. All that shit you experience and, you know, if you're a magical person, same fucking shit. It's sensations in your body. The body is the mind. So that by the process of meditation, we become aware of the sensations of the body we become aware of the aversion and craving tendencies of our flesh, our mortal fucking flesh, which we can't wait to get away from because when we feel ourselves, we must admit our mortality and we cannot admit that to ourselves, but we must. So the body 
is what contains everything, the whole magic show of life. It's just, it's just bodily sensations. So, here is the great secret of toilet training. Are you ready? I, the one who knows how to shit cleanly and how to flush, um, present to you the grand secret of enlightenment of toilet training. Here's what it is. If you sit and accept life as it is, without attempting to get away from it, without attempting to figure it out, without craving, without trying to get away from things, without allowing your mind to spin off into stories of nonsense. If you just, if you just sit and give up and let go and allow life to be, if you just sit and allow yourself to feel it, the feeling of being alive that you've been trying to get away from for God knows how long, if you just feel the pain, your body knows how to process it. Just let it be and stop trying to change it or get around it or make it into something else or crave something that will make it better or push it away or whatever it is that you've been doing for decades to dull that feeling. Just fucking feel it. I know it hurts. Of course it fucking hurts. Otherwise you wouldn't have been trying to get away from it. Duh. Right. We can all tell horror stories of the things that have happened we think to us, right? Or that we think we've done. If you just feel it and let it be what it is, your body knows how to process it and will. Your flesh knows how to process all of that. Your mind doesn't. It doesn't. You can't logic your way out of that stuff. You can't. You can't sit in therapy for 40 years talking and, and let it come out that way. It doesn't work like that. Your body naturally knows how to process all of it. Obviously, you're a biological organism. You're a part of nature that was designed in order to deal with life. That's what an animal is. So let yourself be it. Instead of something high and mighty and better than that. Let the animal body process it. Let yourself process it. If you just sit with it and feel it, your body knows how to take a shit if you just sit and if you just sit and feel it your body knows what to do and that my dear listeners is how you use the toilet and become a successful adult on spaceship earth it would be amazing wouldn't it if we lived on a planet full of toilet trained people that would be great that'd be real nice you know, things, things would work a lot better. We wouldn't be stepping in other people's shit or having to clean up other people's shit all the time. Uh, and we wouldn't feel shitty all the time because we'd know how to deal with it. That's Buddhism. Can you imagine a world in which all sentient beings are liberated in such a manner? A toilet trained planet, a toilet trained universe. Can you just imagine sparkling clean, running properly? That would be bliss. The pure land itself, the pure land of enlightened Buddhas who all know how to use the toilet properly and therefore get on with the business of just the normal suffering of existence, but basically enjoying this paradise planet, which is what this is. This is paradise. It's paradise. Every, like 
just stop and look. We live in paradise, even the worst things. How improbable is it that we exist here? Sentient existence. How improbable is it? Wait, you know, however it happened, I don't fucking know. However it happened, this is amazing. It's amazing. And, and we somehow we don't see that because we're all full of shit because we don't know how to take shit and so on and so forth. I think I've worn the metaphor out. But we live in a paradise planet. There's a great Harlan Ellison story. Some of you may remember uh, Harlan Ellison, one of the great, greatest science fiction writers of all time, died recently, very sad. It's a huge uh, inspiration on me when I was a teenager. Uh, he wrote a story in the 60s. I think it may have been based on a real person or a friend of his. He wrote a story about a man who is so depressed that he's convinced that uh, he lives in hell, that there's no hope, that there is no escape from the crushing misery of existence of life on earth, uh, and that everything is broken. The political situation is broken. Nothing can be fixed ever. Um, By the way, how many people do you know who feel this way? Most of them probably Um, Just look at the news. This is the view of the world that is pushed on us by Most people who are projecting their shit over the electronic airwaves Uh, So he's become convinced that it's a hopeless situation and therefore decides to jump off a uh, Diving board into a swimming pool with no water and break his neck and kill himself that way immediately after doing so his consciousness is uh, resurrected, if I'm getting the story right, is resurrected in a, um, uh, in, uh, you know, whatever the, the clearinghouse is of these, of these higher intelligences that uh, created the experience of Earth, um, who consider this, and uh, then they, they speak to his, his consciousness that's then been summoned forth to this higher reality, and they say, why did you do that? He says, "Well, this was Earth was hell. I couldn't take it one second more. I couldn't take one. I couldn't take one second more of it. It was endless uh, misery." And I, I think the the character in the story, like his, his everyone he knows dies, or his his parents die, his children die. Some, you know, and so basically everything seems hopeless. And then so he kills himself. They say, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Well, it was all. This was misery. I couldn't take it anymore." So, and they say, "Earth is a paradise planet. It's a vacation planet. We sent you there to enjoy it." Even the awful stuff is there as a, it's, it's paradise. And that, you know, you know, do you know how rare it is to get an op, uh, the opportunity to come here, right? Out of all the myriad worlds in the cosmos, out of all the dimensions in existence, uh, you know how, what the line is to get here. And now I'm not talking about the story, although they say this in the story. Also, this is also what the Buddhists say, um, do you know how rare it is to get to earth? Why did you do that? You've blown your golden ticket. You know, it's going to be another 10,000 incarnations across much worse worlds. So this is something the Dalai Lama would probably agree with, right? This is kind of mainstream Tibet Buddhism. Most precious human incarnation. The Buddhists assure us that a human life is the rarest and most precious gem in all of the myriad worlds because they do believe in infinite galaxies, infinite universes, and infinite dimensions, all of which are teeming with conscious life, right? Straight down the line, Buddhism. It's not science fiction, or it's 
Buddhist science fiction, but it's what they really believe. Most precious human incarnation, because if you have a human incarnation, you have the ability to change your mind stream. And it is within our power to not only radically change our karma, our inertial activity while incarnated in a body um, faster than we would think, but it is also absolutely within our power to simply by changing our orientation to existence to perceive our lives either as heaven or hell. It's more complicated than that, but maybe it isn't. This is not a glib new age uh, platitude. It's something that I've certainly experienced tangibly many times in my life. You can turn hell into heaven within five minutes of meditation. The challenge is remembering to do it, right? And that's a challenge we all have. The challenge is using the tools that you have. And if you don't have the tools, then I'm happy to teach them to you. But the ch we, we have the challenge of remembering to stay awake. And this existence can be the pure land of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, or it can be the hell realms. But in all realms, there is loving, kind consciousness there to remind us of what reality actually is. I love you. I have great compassion for you. We are part of a greater, perhaps, consciousness. Even if I've never met you, we are experiencing this really weird trip together. And it's, it's really weird and it's really hilarious. And it's hilarious people take it so seriously. Um, I wish they wouldn't. I wish they would learn to be toilet trained. And so with my great spiritual aspiration for all humanity, I wish um, all sentient beings to be liberated from suffering and the causes of suffering and to learn how to sit and process the trauma, uh, the trauma of existence until they see through the suffering to the other side, which is pure bliss, the pure land. That's Buddhism. Um, Okay, so it's four in the morning now, and uh, I should go to sleep so that I can edit this podcast and get it to you. Um, the course is called Magic and Mysticism in Buddhism. It, uh, as I've mentioned already, contains the uh, three-hour docu documentary film telling you everything of all the the um, the core truths and and the four noble truths the noble eightfold path uh, the turnings of the dharma the differences between all the buddhist schools how to break it down and how to do the how to because it's me teaching it um, how to see through the mythology to get out get out of it the core techniques and then how to practice those techniques to extreme levels right because that's what really matters um uh, there, there are uh, very hard tests in it uh, that I put in there. Uh, you get a certificate if you pass them, and it won't be easy. Um, there are lots of resources for further study. Um, there are bi-weekly Q&A sessions live with me. You can take the course, and then you can come to a live uh, weekend session online on Zoom where um, you can ask me practice questions or uh, guidance in in. Uh, Buddhism or yoga or magic or the different things that I teach and um, it's it's the one of the best things I've done I think it's certainly the best thing I've done on magic.me so far uh, it's great it's great so um, 
If you're a Magic.me subscriber, you already have access to it. If you would like to become a Magic.me subscriber, you get access to it and like 14 other courses. Um, it's like, I don't know, something like, it's gotta be something like 130 hours of course material now is a huge amount. It's a huge, the Akashic library of, of esoteric teaching of Western and Eastern techniques. You get access to the bi-weekly live sessions and there is lots more coming up. Uh, or you can buy it on its own if you want, and then you get unlimited access to it forever. Sound good? Okay. So magic.me. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast, then please subscribe on iTunes. Leave us leave a five-star review. Uh, it, it will um, continue, continue growing thanks to your interest and loving kindness in my direction. All right. I'm going to go to bed. All right. Lots of love to you. Be good. Stay awake and um, have a good trip.